we'll go ahead and get started on this week's SALT Bitcoin review. Uh, for those that haven't been on yet, I'm John Darcy. I'm a director of business development here at SkyBridge. I'm also the managing director of SALT, which is our conference and thought leadership business. We're very excited to resume our conference uh, in September of 2021 here in New York City for the first time. Uh, crypto, digital assets, Bitcoin will be a, a huge part of the agenda. Uh, we already have some fantastic speakers and sponsors lined up uh, in the Bitcoin category. So very excited for that. So if you're tuning into these, we would highly recommend that if you feel safe and comfortable doing so, we'd love to have you at SALT in September. But joining me on today's SALT Bitcoin review is Anthony Scaramucci, who's the founder and managing partner of SkyBridge, and Brett Messing, who's the president and COO of SkyBridge. And Brett, as we've talked about on this show before, sort of uh, was a, a big force in, in getting us into the digital asset space. So I want to start uh, with Brett. And just a reminder, too, if you have questions, we want this to be very interactive. Um, submit first, them by the first of all, button. when it's going down, we give Brett credit. Exactly. Okay? exactly. We, when we it's going up, I would like to down. take the credit. OK, George, I just want to make sure. Right. We um, so mm -hmm. please submit your questions using the Q&A box at the bottom of your video screen on Zoom. We're going to get to as many of them as possible today. Uh, so please submit those questions there. We want it to be very interactive. But uh, we're going to start, Brett, uh, just with a sort of macro conversation around Bitcoin. So obviously, we've seen massive volatility uh, over the last week, but it accelerated this morning. Uh, Bitcoin touched a low of under 31,000, which was basically a 50% drawdown, slightly more than 50% drawdown from its peak uh, at 63 plus thousand. Uh, it's, it's not a new phenomenon for people that are long-term investors in Bitcoin, but I think there's a whole generation uh, of investors in Bitcoin here that, that are newer to the game, that uh, you know, felt a little bit of perspiration when they saw that big flush that we experienced in Bitcoin this morning. Um, my, my first question is, was this pullback sort of inevitable? Is this just Bitcoin being Bitcoin? Or was this the direct result of everything that, that we talked about in the newsletter this morning and that you've likely observed with Elon Musk you know, coming out and saying that Tesla isn't going to allow uh, people to buy their cars with Bitcoin? Is this all Elon driven or is this something natural that was likely inevitable at some point? No, like I think I think Elon Musk contributed, I don't know, half of it. Um, I mean, I guess just to take back, this is a normal pullback in the in, in the context of Bitcoin, right? You have a 50% pullback, even in the bull market, you know, it happens once or twice every bull market. I mean, that said, the declines are breathtaking. I mean, they're violent. Um, and for those people that didn't watch it real time, you're better off because of it. Um, but look, there are a couple things, you know. Bitcoin, let's, let's not forget, since October, it's moved from 10,000 to hit a high of 64,000 with a Coinbase IPO. That Coinbase IPO could have gone one of two ways. It could have pulled a lot more money in, or it could have been your sort of classic, you know, buy on the rumor, sell on the news and create a short-term top. And, and, and I think that's, that's apparently what happened. In, in the week or two before this, you know, Bitcoin was having trouble moving higher on good news. And they say, at least in the equity markets, when a stock doesn't go higher on, on a flood of good news, you sort of you want to sell it. So I, I think that was concerning. Um, and then you've had, you know, the tech stocks have gotten, you know, destroyed. And, you know, I, people own Bitcoin in a lot of different ways. Some people, again, I'm an equities guy, think of it as like the next great tech stock. And during times of stress, it will correlate you know, with the NASDAQ. Um, so I think that I think the tech stocks and then you just had, you know, had a flow of news 
where I would say Bitcoin was fragile, right? So you had, there was an investigation of Binance, which is the largest exchange by US government. You know, China reiterated its, its sort of stance on Bitcoin. There was some news that it was new. It's not really new. Um, but when you have a fragile asset or a fragile S stock, this kind of stuff takes it down. So I think a correction was inevitable, but Elon Musk threw kerosene on this thing. Um, and in fact, the bounce, the violent bounce up that we saw, you know, so we, I woke up this morning, it was 39, you know, it, it went from 39 to basically 30 fast and then back to 39 fast because Elon Musk came out and said that, well, he tweeted that Tesla has diamond hands. And for those people who don't know, diamond hands means that you're a hodler and you're going to hold through anything, including the massive volatility. And what was missing this weekend, he sort of suggested that Tesla might be selling its Bitcoin. Bitcoin went down on it. Then he said that Tesla had not sold any Bitcoin. But what he didn't say was, we have not sold it and we have no intention to. And it was that ambiguity that was weighing on the market. And you know, I think him coming out um, and basically saying that you know we're a hodler and he credited the CFO of Tesla for that, I think is meaningful. But and I'm gonna let Anthony talk. Uh, um, you know, damage has been done here. You know what I mean to the investor psych psyche. You know, a lot of people who lost money. You know, if you look at the on-chain analytics, it was a lot of new buyers who sold. So we're gonna we're gonna trade around in a range. You know, I don't know if that's 40 to 50, 35 to 50. You know, I don't, I don't know what it's gonna be. But we're gonna grind for a few weeks before we what I think go higher. I mean, my my, my long-term view, long-term. <laughs> in Bitcoin time, which is where I think we'll be at the end of the year, but certainly where I think we'll be in five years hasn't changed. Right. Anthony, you know, well, you know, listen, I mean, I think ahead. it's important. Well, I think it's important for us to go back to the fundamentals because the original skeptics will say, well, Bitcoin's worthless. And so therefore it's going to trade to zero. Why is it trading up here? It's trading up here due to speculative frenzy. And so this was appropriate that it came down as aggressively as it did. The snapback now is probably just a short covering as people made a lot of money uh, shorting it up in the in the mid mid 60s. That's the cynics <clears throat> response to what's going on. And so I think what people have to understand and they either get this or they don't get it. Uh, Satoshi Nakamoto and I'll read it right here from my block clock. And I did love this block clock more actually when it was at 55, 65,000, 64,000. But what does he say here? If you don't believe it or don't get it, I don't have the time to try to convince you. Sorry, Satoshi Nakamoto. And, and the, point, the point being is you either are going to steep yourself in the fundamental understanding of what Bitcoin is and what Bitcoin is doing and the transformation that Bitcoin is gonna have in our society or you're not. And if you're not, you're going to be a loose holder of the of, of the coins. You're going to play them for speculative purposes, and you're going to curate a lot of foam and a lot of froth at the top. You know, my friend uh, Dave Greenberg, who's been in the oil markets forever, uh, texted me as we were starting here, and he said that he saw this happen in the Gulf War and 9/11. Tremendous amount of flushing out of activity in the oil markets, as well as a flush out activity in the stock market. And it was a good flush out because it made for a stronger and more believable rally in the future. And so you don't want weak players in this market. And so what, what I think was happening is we rallied 
too much, frankly. You brought in a lot of foam and you created a lot of this uh, violent activity. So Bitcoin at 39,000, I just want to take everybody back to Bitcoin at 28,000. That was the start of the year. How about early December, Bitcoin at 17 or 18,000? And so if you take a step back and look at what's gone on over the last six months, you know, Bitcoin has had this very, very powerful move. If it didn't move to 64,000, uh, you wouldn't have this sort of uh, uh, hair on fire, people running around like crazy. Uh, I'm going to let Brett talk in a second and you as well, John, but I just want to answer the Elon Musk question. I'm just going to give my opinion uh, about the Elon Musk situation. Um, listen, I mean, I think the guy's a believer in Bitcoin. He's holding it. There's a billion and a half dollar position that he's holding on or thereabout. Uh, I think he's got pressure on him, though, because he's in the electric car business. He's getting a lot of subsidies from the federal government related to incentivizing more production of admission-free cars. And I think there's a lot of pressure on him. And so uh, his decision and his calling it environmentally unsafe, and then we can debate the merits of that. Obviously, Brett and I think it's way more environmentally safe than people are suggesting. And just so everybody knows, Bitcoin's current carbon admission, its current carbon admitting contribution to the world is 0.13%. If we're right and Bitcoin transforms the financial services community and disintermediates tons of middle people, I want you to think all those cars on the road going to bank locations or bank branches, all the lights associated with those bank branches, all the people uh, that have to go there to work and all the carbon that that's admitting. Long-term Bitcoin will be very, very good for the environment. So to me, I think Elon Musk is in between a rock and a hard place. Someone's asking, do I do we think Musk is actually serious or just a sociopathic genius? I want to answer that as well. I don't think he's a sociopathic genius. I think he's a genius genius. Uh, is he a little awkward? He admitted on Saturday Night Live that he's got Asperger's, so he might be a little awkward. Uh, but I would never bet against this guy. And I don't think this guy happens to be betting against Bitcoin. I just think he's between a rock and a hard place. So I don't, I, I don't know what Brett's thoughts are there, but... Those are mine. Brett. You know, like, like I, you know, I, I take Elon Musk at his, at his words. You know what I mean? Um, and uh, um, I'm, I'm hoping that you look. That, well, does, that, it, does it concern you, Brett, that one person could have that big of an influence? You, you said he was half of the move. Let's say that no, that's no, true. I, 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 he, I, I, he took, okay. he, then he took $250 billion out of the crypto market. He was right. half the move. So, so, so there's the good and the bad to it. So, so let's let's be sober about what's happened here. So, the good news would be the Willie Wu spin, and what Willie, you know, who's a very, very well known, you know, uh, analyst in the Bitcoin space, has said, it indicates how nascent the asset class is, how early it is, and how much upside there is. And I think that's true. The other side of that is that Jim Cramer said that it's off-putting to institutions and could slow institutional adoption, right? You know, Elon Musk, a genius, but he's mercurial. He, some might characterize him as erratic. And do you want your P&L subject to that? Uh, you do when you, when you invest in Tesla, maybe you don't when you invest in Bitcoin. I think both of those um, arguments are valid. So Brett, uh, 
there's two things that are happening right now amid this big drawdown. We are in this space and we talk to a lot of investors about Bitcoin and they they tell us frequently, I'm waiting for a pullback. I'm waiting for prices to be lower. I don't want to be that sucker that buys it at 60 and ends up holding the bag. But if it goes down meaningfully, I want to buy. At the same time, you have this issue of one person being able to move the market uh, as the way that Elon Musk did with his tweeting and some of his commentary. So if you're a CFO of a private or public company, or you're the due diligence team at a major bank, and you're in the process of considering Bitcoin as a balance sheet investment or, or loading a Bitcoin product onto your platform, are you now more encouraged that you're going to be able to get your investors in at lower prices? Or are you more concerned by the fact that the volatility still exists in, in an asset that's supposed to be institutionalizing and potentially seeing more depressed volatility? I, I, I actually think that anyone who's looking at this seriously knows how volatile it is, right? And they've looked at the numbers and they look at the history and they expect the volatility and they don't know what the cause of it was going to be. Okay, let's say it was all Elon. It just happened to be him. And, and I guess there's just so, so the answer is no, I actually don't think it's going to be that off putting. And let's just remember for a moment, this isn't just one actor, right? This is the richest man in the world, I guess, by, by, by some measure, who has a, an earned cult following, right, through his business career. I mean, just imagine what would happen. And there's a book actually by Robert Lee, uh, Bob Lee, who's very early player in the crypto space. It's coming out. He's promoting it and head of the Bitcoin conference. So I was listening to a podcast with him. And he has these like 10 predictions for, for, for Bitcoin. And one of them is that Warren Buffett's going to buy Bitcoin. Now, I imagine he's going to wait till Charlie Munger dies, or perhaps that will kill him. But what happens to Bitcoin if, 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 if uh, Berkshire Hathaway announces that they've bought a billion and a half dollars, right? So there are certain what I would call mega actors in essentially every market. And so... Um, I, I, I lean more towards the nascency. And I think, again, you know, and we've said this over, you know, if you're going to invest in Bitcoin and we really think you should, it's really about sizing, right? Because, you know, look, look Bitcoin could, you know, I actually expected us to get to 100,000 and then retrace back to 60. Like I, I had it built in my head that we were going to have a 40% pullback this year. Maybe that'll still happen. Maybe we'll have two. Um, but that's what you're signing up for. So just make sure that your, you know, your position size is such that you know you're not going to be the person who's, you know, selling at the wrong time. Anthony, do you have anything to add to that? Well, I mean, you know, I, I want to go to some of these questions. If it's okay, yes, someone's no, let's, let's about, move on. You know, someone's asking about not wanting weak players in the market makes sense, but what's the opinion of the ongoing debate between Bitcoin and the growth of altcoins? Uh, such as Doge and Safe Moon, and what's your opinion? So, you know, listen, I'm I'm focused on Bitcoin. Brett and I are focused on Bitcoin. Skybridge uh, will introduce an Ethereum fund shortly. We'll have more details on that as it's about to transpire. We have other uh, inter internet slash digital asset products that we're going to be able to announce shortly. Uh, but at the end of the day, we're staying away from the altcoins. Uh, not because they're good or bad, but because we're institutionalists and we're trying to be the icebreaker up at the North Pole, breaking through the ice related to institutions. And volatility like this 
is a turnoff to some institutions and to other institutions, it's a great opportunity. So to me, I want to stay with the one or two apex predators that are in the market. Uh, and so we're avoiding for now those coins. That's not to say that they're good or bad. Um, you know, obviously, what I think is ironic about this whole thing, and Brett and I have said this repeatedly, prior to this debacle this week, almost Bitcoin didn't have enough juice for the Bitcoiners. They needed to trade the altcoins like SafeMoon and Doge, and they thought that Bitcoin was like a little bit too flaccid for them, I guess. I, I don't know. To me, look at the market activity, go with the apex predator, keep it simple, stupid. That would be my message. I don't want to be an e-toys. I want to be an Amazon. I, I, I would add something to that. So like, you know, when Bitcoin is getting hit, right, we can't, we can't value it on, on traditional metrics. So there, there are a couple things we can look at, right? We can look at how many people are on the network, right? And we've talked about sort of Metcalf's law um, and, and how, the, how the price generally tracks through adoption, right? So we, we have a network of Bitcoin, right, with, you know, 100 plus million people and now large institutions that are committed to it, right, where it's on public company balance sheets and insurance companies. But well beyond that, we have tens of billions of dollars invested in this network, right, in, in the terms of capital expenditures for miners, and then on an annual basis, we have billions of dollars spent on energy, right? So um, this isn't just a computer code. There, there is this nexus between the real world and the digital world. And that, I think, provides a, a base level of, level of value, um, again, untraditionally so, but makes it very different from the mean coins. So, Brett. The basis of Elon Musk supposedly stopping the ability for consumers to buy Tesla cars with Bitcoin was concerns about the environmental impact of Bitcoin mining. And uh, environmental FUD, fear, uncertainty, and doubt around Bitcoin is nothing new. It's something that skeptics point to very frequently in terms of why they think uh, this won't rise to the levels that, that some people believe it will. Do you think environmental FUD is going to continue to be more of a topic of conversation among regulators among institutions that are talking about adopting Bitcoin in a more meaningful way? Or do you think uh, it's a little bit of a red herring? No, I actually think it is an issue. I, I, I think that the green issue, and I wouldn't make it, you know, I don't, I, I, we shouldn't pick on Bitcoin. I, I think this is true across all investment asset classes. I, I think, I mean, there was an article about how uh, monetary authorities throughout the world, when, they, when they're investing their balance sheet, are taking green issues into consideration. So, you know, I think it's a real thing. I think it's going to affect adoption. Um, you know, I think it will it will cure itself because I think by the end of the decade, most energy is going to be renewable. So if you're using energy, you're going to be using renewable energy. Um, but there's a lot of progress being made to make Bitcoin greener. Uh, you know, for example, you know, there's a there's a Bitcoin miner in Upper New York State that announced they were buying carbon credits to offset, you know, whatever impact they're having on the environment. Uh, China has um, objectives, right, that they want to hit in terms of the cleanliness of their air. And Inner Mongolia, which is the largest region, I guess, in China, and one of the, the, the areas where there's the most mining has not been hitting their objectives. So Inner Mongolia has banned Bitcoin mining. And they've actually taken it so far that they're they're paying their citizens sort of tips or bribes, 
you know, to, to tell them who is doing it, um, if there aren't any mining in that region. If you get mining out of China, you're going to take a big chunk out of, certainly getting out of Inner Mongolia, you're going to get a lot of the, the sort of dirtier mining out of the system. So, you know, one of the things they say about Bitcoin is that Bitcoin is anti-fragile. So when it gets attacked, it, it makes things, it makes it stronger. I, I, I think that we'll look back and Elon Musk will, in, in, his, in his own idiosyncratic way, have accelerated the greening of Bitcoin mining. So I actually think it's a good thing. Um, I do think it may slow some institutions down that are really focused on green. Um, but lo longer term, as I said, I, it's, it's certainly not an issue. So Anthony, I have a question for you. It's around you know, government and regulation. So in the context of everything that's been happening with Elon, which has gotten a lot of the headlines, uh, India came out today that their central bank is basically encouraging banks and financial institutions in that country to stop doing business with crypto exchanges and traders. That's in spite of a Supreme Court ruling uh, in 20, I think it was 2018, uh, that allowed Indian financial institutions to deal with crypto companies. But the government ahead of potential formal legislation is telling people, don't do business with these people. There's there's regulation coming. In China, as Brett mentioned, uh, there's some noise around them sort of broadening their bans on crypto trading, custody, things of that nature, despite the fact that 60 to 70% of, of global Bitcoin mining takes place in, in a couple of provinces in China. Do you think part of this is just increased fears about potential adverse regulation? Listen, I can give you a whole list of fear, uncertainty, and doubt on Bitcoin. And then we can step back and we can look at Bitcoin's move over the last 12 years and say, wow, well, why did it do that? Because there's so much negativity and so much FUD out there. Why would Bitcoin actually move directionally despite its volatility? It's been primarily asymmetric volatility. And the answer to that is because it works. The answer to that is that it has three or four universal properties that the world has looked to towards value, storage of value, and the transfer of value. What are those things? Well, number one, it's immutable. You're not going to be able to bust the blockchain or you're not going to be able to subvert it. Number two, uh, it's becoming a trusted, scalable network. I think is super important. And number three, and you got a lot of jokesters on Twitter and a lot of uh, television pundits saying, well, ha, 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 how could it be a store of value if it's moving 25, 30% a day? It's clearly not a store of value. Uh, but if you step back and you look at the broader picture of it, it actually has been a store of value. And if anything, it's been increasing in price as there's a pro proliferation and greater production in fiat currency and more inflation. So again, just step back, uh, 28,000 at the beginning of the year, 39, 40,000 right now, uh, it's asymmetric in terms of its movement long-term if you're willing to step back. As it relates specifically to China, China has a specific policy region, reason why they wanna keep a closed economic society in, in China. They wanna stay in power. Uh, everybody on this call knows that we're cheating history now with China. Uh, the Chinese Communist Party is controlling those seven balkanized provinces with an iron fist. Everybody knows that uh, one party systems typically only last 
70 years. Uh, we, we saw what happened with the Soviet Union after 70 years. The Mexican one-party system ended after 70 years. Japan, the same thing. Malaysia, a few years ago, that, that party turned over. Singapore has had its issues. And so the Chinese are trying to keep it together. And one of the ways to keep it together is to close the system. And if you digitize the yuan and you put it on people's smartphones, and then you don't like their behavior, and all of a sudden their yuan disappears on their smartphone, uh, you have a tremendous amount of control. If you're putting Bitcoin into the equation and it's libertarian decentralization, that's not a great thing for China right now. But conversely, the other side of the coin is, to your point, they're mining a ton of Bitcoin. And so my guess is at some point they have a long-term, they're very long-term thinkers, they have a long-term cohabitation strategy for the digital yuan and Bitcoin. Otherwise, I don't think they'd be, they'd be doing that massive amount of mining. That's my opinion. Right. Uh, India, I think, is a separate thing. Tremendous democratic bureaucracy there. Uh, and I think that, uh, you know, you've got an old guard, older people demographically, trying to hold on to the past as the future is accelerating. So, Brett, uh, we have a couple questions in the chat. We, we alluded to the idea that weak hands are being shaken out, and that could be a positive thing long-term for Bitcoin, some leverage coming out of the system. We have a couple questions. So when Bitcoin uh, sort of fell back to earth in 2017, 2018, after that initial bull rise, when it, when it rallied to near $20,000 per coin, uh, you saw a preponderance of ICOs and altcoins, we'll call them, uh, popping up when Bitcoin was rallying and, and was very strong. And then when you had the washout in Bitcoin, it led to basically the extinction of a lot of these altcoins and some of the really uh, excessive speculation that took place in the crypto space. Do you think, first of all, that Bitcoin is going to be stronger for this pullback? We talked about the idea of measuring you know, network effects based on adoption uh, on the Bitcoin network as opposed to price. And do you think that we'll have a massive shakeout in these you know, safe moons and Doge coins and Shiba coins and all this just rampant speculation that's taken place uh, sort of around the growth of Bitcoin? Well, yeah, I mean, look, with respect to Bitcoin, if, if we just scope out for a second, and I like to say follow the news, not the price, which not that I follow that, but, but I, you know, I, I try to take that perspective. So what's happened in the last week? Bitcoin's gone from 54,000 to 39,000. And Elon Musk said that, that Tesla will no longer take Bitcoin for cars. They didn't have anybody buying Bitcoin with cars. Okay, I was going to do it just for fun. Okay, but no one was doing it. He said they're not selling. Today, UBS announced that they're, I mean, not UBS, Wells Fargo announced that they're about to roll out a, uh, a product to all of their wealth management. And again, just remember, if as each of the, one of these banks has it, everyone has to have it. More network effect, more validation of Bitcoin. <clears throat> and as you just discussed, India was going to ban it. And now they're just looking to regulate it, which is a step in the right direction from a regulatory standpoint. So, you know, I think Bitcoin will emerge stronger from this. I think this is just, you know, market noise. Again, these various meme coins and the altcoins from years ago, the ICOs that you refer to, you have to go back and look at like, well, how much money is invested in them, meaning supporting them? How secure are those networks? How many developers are working on them? What's the use case? And, you know, if you, you know, there are in Dogecoin, for example, and maybe this is changing, right, as given Elon Musk's support, but there are four, four, 
four guys working part-time to maintain Dogecoin. That's it, right? And so, um, and, it, and it actually trades on the Litecoin protocol, right? So it, it, it doesn't even have its sort of its own system. Now, look, could it get morphed into something else, right? You know, I, I'm pretty sure Viagra wasn't developed for its use. Maybe, maybe there is a, a secondary use for, for Dogecoin. But, you know, again, unless these various other coins. Well, if you're saying that Dogecoin has the effect of Viagra, well, I'm just letting everybody know that we may have, we may end up with a Dogecoin fund. I'm just, the FCC is going to censor the salt just talk. wanted to just point that out. I don't know if the FDA is approving that or anything, but I just want everybody to know that that's where we're going. All right, go ahead. Keep going. I'm sorry. Yeah, look, I think that, you know, these very other coins are going to have to prove they have a use case, right? Uh, Bitcoin has a use case. You know, Ethereum has a use case, a lot of execution risk but big opportunity if they execute on it. It isn't clear to me what, I don't know, is Shiba coin? I don't mean, I pronounce it, like what, what the use case is for it. And, it, and um, if there's no use case, then it will eventually, it will die like the other 6,000 cryptocurrencies that have come and gone. And if there is, it'll yeah. survive. Yeah, I mean, Dave Portnoy of Barstool Sports, to bring him into the conversation, because we had a few, a few questions about him, but uh, there was a great Bloomberg newsletter yesterday morning, Joe Wiesenthal wrote it. Um, he hosts the Odd Lots podcast, which I would highly recommend. Um, but he basically said that all these altcoins have been created, you know, not to use the P word, but as Ponzi schemes. It's basically the idea that if you can get in early, even though this has, has no use, no practical use and, and no real use cases, um, that you're going to make money because people are just speculating in a very frenzied way. And Dave Portnoy came out and said, I'm going to back Safe Safe Moon. Uh, just uh, he randomly picked one of the altcoins and said he's going to turn to an influencer on SafeMoon just to demonstrate the idea that you know this is sort of a Ponzi scheme. So I think uh, you know the timing of this shakeout, people are calling it the Portnoy top, uh, if you will. But uh, moving on from that, so we have a few questions about price targets, and we've generally tried to avoid uh, putting price targets on Bitcoin because we think you know while, while it generates headlines and might give people guideposts, um, it's sort of unnatural to to have expectations on where the price of Bitcoin is going to trade. But we do have a couple of questions about, uh, you know, what does this do to revise your price targets for Bitcoin by the end of this year, by the end of 2022? Uh, Brett, does this does this sort of uh, dampen your expectations in terms of price, uh, you know, over the next couple of years? No, not at all, because the the fundamental story hasn't changed. You know, there are, you know, at the end of this month, there will be more people in the Bitcoin network than there were last month. And that'll be true at the end of June as well. In fact, you know, um, just this weekend, I was able to buy Bitcoin on Venmo. Um, unfortunately, I paid like 50000 for it, but uh, it showed up on my phone and, you know, because they're, they're rolling it out, I guess, you know, in stages to their various users. So that'll be just another way for people to get access to Bitcoin. So no, the, 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 there's really, as I said, there's been no, there's been no fundamental change except the price. And and I, I, I do want to take credit for this. People have been saying that as Bitcoin get, it gets institutionalized, that the volatility is going to decline. And I have said I disagree with that. And at least for today, I would say I'm right. Um, but I've also said that the volatility is our friend. Because while the volatility can, in a, in, and I'll be the first to admit it, in a breathtaking way, take it from 43 to 30 fast, it can also take it from 40 to 100 fast in the way it went from 10,000 to 64,000 over a span of four months. 
So, uh, no, I, I, you know, my, my thoughts on where I think Bitcoin's going this year and, you know, at the end, you know, I think about it this year and then where might it be in, you know, 25, let's say four years ago, four years from now, because we have another halving, just a reminder to everyone, uh, every four years, the amount of Bitcoin that is, the miners mine on a daily basis is reduced in half. And it will be reduced from 900 new Bitcoin a day to 450 new Bitcoin a day in March of 2024. And we tend to get these big moves after that sort of supply shock. Right. And to cover another big piece of news that came out this morning, Wells Fargo uh, now plans to add a crypto fund to its platform, talking about the the growth of those network effects that you were alluding to earlier. And I, I want to go back to that earlier question that I had. Do you think somebody like Wells Fargo, they probably made this decision over the course of several weeks or even months in terms of should we or shouldn't we add Bitcoin funds or crypto funds onto our platform? Do you think this volatility is going to maybe dissuade people like Wells Fargo or others from bringing these products to their clients? I I, I don't at all. Again, I, I, I think if I'm Wells Fargo, I'm happy. You know, um, Goldman and JP Morgan have announced products which they haven't rolled out. And, you know, their clients are going to be able to buy it maybe under 40, maybe in the 40s, which is better than buying it in the 60s. Um, and uh, so, you know, I, again, this volatility, this kind of a pullback um, is has always been what what Bitcoin is, and and until it it, it matures materially, it's what it will continue to be. And so, um, uh, you know, and the other thing about these banks is they have inertia. It's really hard for them to get going on something, but when, once they get going on something, it's very hard to get them to stop. So, Anthony, I have a, a question from the chat that I'm going to extrapolate into a broader question. So the question was about BlackRock. You know, BlackRock is the largest asset manager in the world. Uh, they're, they're talking a big game on ESG and integrating ESG into everything they do with all of their various products. Um, and there's also this notion that Tesla, you know, they cited environmental concerns uh, for not letting people buy uh, cars with Bitcoin. But there's also a notion that they're entering sort of uh, the carbon credits game and and obviously get a lot of government subsidies uh, around their multiple business lines. Do you think um, that the ESG factor you talk about, you can talk about the BlackRock piece and also, you know, from a government regulation perspective, do you think there's going to be continued pressure on asset managers to you know, consider the ESG elements of Bitcoin? You know, no, I think the short answer is yes. But the longer answer is people really need to do the homework and need to understand the percentage of renewable energy that goes into mining and keeping the network and the systems together and the transformation. And then the secondary issue is, well, if you're going to do that, well, then what about GM and Ford? And what about banks? Banks are emitting a tremendous amount of carbon. What about commercial office buildings, they emit a tremendous amount of carbon. So are we getting out of the real estate business, the automobile business, the banking business? I don't know. For some reason, it feels like we've got a target on Bitcoin's back because it's a it's a new idea. And there's a lot of people that want to maintain the principles based on the old guard. And so here's what's going to happen, whether people like it or not, are 70, 80, and 97-year-old business leaders are going to age out of the economy. 
And there's a very large group of people that are your age, frankly, John Dorsey, that are going to age into the economy and are going to take leadership positions and regulatory positions. And it's the same way that cannabis and pot smoking was illegal 35 years ago. And I see Dorsey smiling. God only knows how much how many bongs you've taken a hit from. We can talk about that later, of course. But the point is now it's legal. And so what's going to happen is, yes, you have that stuff going on. The bell curve of the demography is going to move and people are going to be in Bitcoin. They're going to be in it in size and scale. And we would like our clients to be involved with it now. Um, And despite the volatility, I'm a buyer at 64,000. I was a buyer the other day at 40,000. We bought some today in the uh, low 30s. Uh, but all those prices, 64000 to 32000 I think are going to be very good long-term marks uh, when we think about it over a three to five-year period of time. So, so, you know, what's our price target? I said on CNBC, we are comfortable in our, uh, our idea that Bitcoin is going to get to $100,000. And that is based on Medcalf's law. And the exponential effect of more users coming into the into the network. So, Brett, I, I, I want to add, I, add, yeah, add something on the on the Musk thing. And uh, so, someone very smart said to me that this is the three dimensional chess game that he's making playing. Tesla actually makes more money by selling environmental credits than they do from cars. So, because they're a clean energy company. The government gives them these credits and they sell them to other companies that that aren't clean. So one of the biggest buyers of their credits is the newly named former Fiat, uh, the maker of Fiat. I can't remember the name of the company who paid them, I don't know, like $300 million last year. And that company has said that they will no longer need to buy credits from Tesla. I think this is true of a number of the buyers of these credits because Right, this this greening is going on everywhere. Right, everyone is focused on it. So there's a suggestion that Tesla, that Elon is trying to put pressure on either regulators or the mining community to end up buying credits from him. That he needs new buyers for these credits. So it's an interesting three-dimensional chess. Who knows? We'll find out. Um, again, I I think the the longer term story here is that Bitcoin will become greener from a mining standpoint. And if Musk's sort of temper tantrum sort of helps that, then all the better. Yeah. And Anthony made a comment on Twitter to that effect. There's a really interesting question from Nick in the chat. Um, and this is something that Elon actually addressed in one of his, uh, if you want to call them tantrums, Brett. Peter McCormick, uh, big in the Bitcoin community, friend of ours, uh, basically pushed back on Elon's FUD around the environment environmental issues with Bitcoin. And one of the points Elon made in response to that was the idea that Bitcoin isn't as decentralized as people make it out to be. And he's pointing to the fact uh, that 60 to 70 percent of Bitcoin mining takes place in China and really in a couple of provinces in China uh, predominantly. Is this a misunderstanding that people have between nodes and mining nodes? Or what do you say to the idea that even as, uh, you know, as the we get diminishing returns on Bitcoin rewards as part of the having that this could become even more centralized. No, like I, you know, Bitcoin is by far the most decentralized network. There is probably a little over 50% of it is in China. China is a pretty big country. It's spread throughout China. Um, 
there was he pointed to there was there was a an incident in uh, one province where all the miners in that you know had to go um, had to go off the network for a couple of weeks, and the sort of the computing power went down around twenty percent on the network, but. And then it was up a few weeks later. And that's the beauty and the power of a decentralized network is actually, you want to talk about, someone asked me yesterday, what's the single best news that could come out for Bitcoin? And it actually, in my mind, it isn't Warren Buffett buying Bitcoin. Is if China banned Bitcoin mining and every Bitcoin miner in China stopped mining, okay, that would, that would automatically make Bitcoin much greener because a lot of the dirty mining comes out of China. The network would just keep chugging away to the extent that people are concerned about the fact that so much mining is done in China, that would go away. Um, this is an incredibly decentralized network and um, there, there's, there's no way to harm it because of how spread out it is. Um, and uh, so I, he, he was, you know, he was just wrong. And I, I think that was, you know, Twitter got sort of nasty. And I think, you know, it felt like uh, Elon didn't like Twitter being Bitcoin, Twitter being mean to him. Uh, but, you know, it takes a lot. Look, you got to spend a lot of time on Bitcoin to really understand it. And Elon Musk runs Tesla. He runs SpaceX. He What's that burrowing company, the boring company? You know, I don't, this guy just doesn't have the time to know Bitcoin the way Peter McCormick does. Um, and, you know, that's okay. Yeah, but I'm, I'm hoping that he will take the time and get educated because I think he has a lot to offer. All right. Well, we're going to start wrapping it up. You know, we could talk for three hours about everything that's happened in Bitcoin um, and, and cryptocurrencies over the last week or so, even going back further than that. But we're going to wrap it up. But I want to give you each a chance sort of just provide your closing macro comments on Bitcoin again, sort of the way we led this. Uh, and, and Anthony, why don't we start with you? To people that maybe are long Bitcoin or, or considering being long Bitcoin, why do you think it makes sense to, to lean into this pullback that we've had? Well, again, it's it's about, it's about ha either having the understanding or not. If you're buying it for speculative purposes and you believe in the greater full theory, uh, you're going to get burned because when you get a volatility downdraft, you're going to get scared out of it. But if you take the time and you do the reading and you do the, uh, you steep yourself in the understanding of the fully robust, decentralized monetary and storage of value network that's being created, um, you won't be you won't be shocked by the volatility. And again. Think of Facebook down after its IPO, look at its price performance over the years. Google down after its IPO, look at its price performance. You've heard me talk about Amazon, I'll repeat myself. Amazon, $10,000 on the IPO, $21 million today, 24 short years later, you would have had to go on through at least eight downdrafts of 50% or more uh, to have gotten that performance. So if you want a transformative, impactful thing to your portfolio, you have one, 2% of your money in Bitcoin, and we're right, you're going to be very, very happy, but you're going to have to hold the position uh, because the volatility is not a bug, it's a feature of this. Uh, and that volatility over the 12 years has been predominantly asymmetrically upsided volatility. And so that would be my message to people 
Uh, this price shock was expected, uh, and there'll be more price shocks, but I think there's better days ahead long-term. And take a step back and look at it from a long-term view of a chart. Brett? Yeah, I, I would just add two observations. One is, like, we've reached a tipping point. I mean, this is happening. We've had the Coinbase IPO. It's an incredible business. Um, every bank is rolling out a Bitcoin strategy. Um, you know, every vertical type of investors we've discussed, endowments, insurance companies, pension funds, hedge funds, large investment managers are investing in Bitcoin. And I, I think just going back to the, to the banks, the, the thing that I find fascinating is it's being pulled. Okay, so Wells Fargo didn't concoct this. Their clients want it. So their FAs are asking for it. And that's what's happening at Merrill Lynch. That's what's happening at UBS. And then when they respond to that client demand and they roll out the product, they validate Bitcoin further. And then that furthers the network effect and so on and so on and so on. And so, um, you know, it, it, it's impossible to predict the very short and even intermediate movements in Bitcoin. But as long as that dynamic is unfolding, um, you know, you, I think you want to own this asset. And uh, so. Well, there you go. Uh, hopefully you'll join us again next week. It'll be interesting to see uh, the price of Bitcoin. But as we've emphasized here uh, on this call and in the past, you know, we really think if you're a long-term investor in the space, price, you know, it's not necessarily an illusion, but it's not the most important thing. I think price has been useful, certainly in driving some of the institutional adoption. Uh, but as Brett said, sort of the uh, the horse is out of the barn here when you have every major bank offering Bitcoin buying integrated into their core wealth management services. So thank you everybody for joining us uh, on this week's Salt Bitcoin Review. Reminder, if you have any further questions, you can email us at bitcoinir at skybridge.com. Again, that's bitcoinir at skybridge.com. We definitely had plenty of conversations with people uh, over the last 48 hours as Bitcoin's volatility has ramped up and we're happy to have plenty more of those. So if you want to talk through it in a more private setting with a member of our team, again, please email us at bitcoinir at skybridge.com. We're happy to have those conversations. But on behalf of Brett, Anthony, and the entire team, uh, thank you guys for joining us this week. We hope to see you back here again next week.